0: Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store, or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Isn't that hilarious? Like it should be? Hope so. Good. My name's Nathan. Um, I'm uh, one of the pastors here, one of my greatest and highest honors, next to being a husband and and a dad. I get to uh, be like a spiritual dad or a... uh, crazy uncle or whatever I am here at Providence. I just love you guys. I uh, love to be here. I, I want to, uh, I just wanna get right to it this morning. Um, do you sense um, in your heart, is, uh, is Holy Spirit convincing you yet in your heart that he's doing great things and that it is a blessing that you get to be alive now? Do, do you get that? I, I hope you do. Um, I, I, I really believe that we're uh, in, a, uh, in the, the crazy best part of history. Uh, when we're in heaven, we, we're going to be able to get to look back on this part of history, and I know, um, I was in Gettysburg last night, and I know crazy uh, battles have been fought all over the world, but I, I also know that God's raising His church up to be dangerous to darkness again. Um, and that we actually get to be uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the greatest warriors the world has ever seen that, that invade the darkness with the glory of Jesus. And man, um, that is what the church uh, has lost, but, but, but that is the breakthrough that God is bringing again. Do you know that uh, the, I was, uh, like I said, I was in Gettysburg last night. We were eating at this, uh, at this health food restaurant. Uh, called Tommy's Pizza. Um, the uh, it was it was so great. I I uh, I, I lost a couple pounds actually there. Uh, it was so good. Uh, I was sitting across from my son. Um, he's tiny. He's only six feet tall. Uh, and uh, he uh, uh, he ate seven and a half pieces of pizza. And I was getting sick. That's why I lost. Uh, but it was it was awesome. Um, the. Uh, so but we were there and it was hitting me, I was surrounded by like, you had to, it was the kind of place that there was a, uh, it, it was like kind of like, uh, I don't know, the apocalypse, um, and everybody is fighting for a table, that's how popular Tommy's is, I guess, um, but hadn't been there in years, uh, but we did find a table, um, thanks to my wife. Right? She brings some intimidation wherever she goes in her wake. They're like, give her the table. Like, she's like, thank you. So, um, but uh, we sat down at the table, swarms of people all around us, and I was watching my son eat pizza. I was helping uh, my, my, uh, my kids. I was enjoying being a family, but the heart of the father keeps awakening me to uh, the reality that there's a family that's bigger than mine. And that, that he has sons and daughters. Whew. He has sons and daughters that he cares about as much as my kids and my wife and my life. He's got sons and daughters around him looking around the restaurant and I'm, I'm seeing all kinds of people um, that God cares about. And I'm getting this, this, uh, um, this, I don't know, this discomfort with just caring about me. I'm starting, I, I want to see breakthrough in my son and my two girls and in my life and my wife and my marriage. I want that. But I want to see it break out on the kingdom family. And I asked uh, my family at the table, I said, I said, hey, what person here in this restaurant do you think needs to know the love of Jesus? <laughs> It's honestly, and I say this, uh, I say this as a confession, a confession, not a confection. I, I'm still thinking of food. As confectionery sugar uh, sounds really good uh, right now. So, uh, um, but well, well, getting back to it, um, I, I say it as a confession because I want to lead my family this way. I want to lead my family. So the most important thing to us is not how many pieces. I received, but did I bring the heart of God wherever I went? Did people get to taste heaven and taste the treasure that Jesus is and taste the love of the Father and taste the move of the Spirit because I showed up at Tommy's? This is the kind of thing that I think that God is doing um, in the church today. Um, Did you hear... Uh, Don't call him Papa John, it's Poppy John. Did you hear him preach last week? He approached, uh, and and he's sweet, and he's sweet. And then the week before, uh, Pastor Marcel, man, just gave a word, I wasn't here either week. Uh, But Pastor Marcel gave a word I listened back to that just wrecked me so good, uh, where he's calling us to embrace the fullness of of God. And I think that God's doing something in the church where we're, we're not just seeing Jesus as a tool that gets us our own mansion in heaven. Right? But we're actually seeing him as the treasure of the kingdom. And I think that God's doing something in the church where we're not just seeing God, the Father, as, a, as an evil dictator that doesn't want us in his kingdom but is allowing us in, in his kingdom because he loves Jesus. But we're actually beginning to see that the truest thing about the Father is that he loves. Holy love. Holy love. And it always blows my mind that when we talk about the love of the Father, that creates animosity uh, among us. But I just want you to hear that, uh, that the, the Father so loved the world that he gave his Son, and you and I are the world he's referring to. And then, But this morning, I, I want to talk about this, that I, I know that we're taking ground in these areas. Jesus isn't a tool. He's not a genie. He doesn't get you to heaven. He is heaven. Um, that the, the, the Father doesn't, doesn't uh, despise you, He actually wants you, and so He so loved you that He sent His Son, that you could be His sons and daughters. But this morning I, I want to talk about Holy Spirit. I'm talking about Holy Spirit. Because I've watched, it's, it's interesting, I, I had to leave. I was so touched this morning, I had to leave and go to the bathroom and blow my nose. Um, because things are happening, you know. Um, And I I walked to the bathroom, and I felt like God whispering to me, like, Nathan, your Moody Bible education, your Lancaster Bible education, and then you wanting to operate in the fullness of the Spirit. He said, that was a divine setup. It wasn't one against the other. I'm setting you up, because here's the thing. I love Moody Bible Institute and and the the people who believe that the Trinity is Father, Son, Holy Bible. And I also love my, my crazy Pentecostal friends that love to, to dance and roll around and cry at things. I love them. And I think that what's happened in the, in the church is that, listen to this, is the, is, is the uh, there's been a divorce in the church where the church has had to operate as a single parent family. Where, where the, uh, we haven't, it's, it's been one or the other. You either get mom or dad here. And mom or dad in the church for decades now has been, you get to be a part of the church, that's Father, Son, Holy Bible. Or you get to be a part of the church that's the Holy Spirit. And uh, unfortunately, that's not how it was designed to work. Holy Spirit actually inspired the scriptures, and he wants to use them. But the Holy Spirit's main role is not just to help you read the Bible. He is not a thing or a mist or a river. He's a person. And he wants to break out on your life. So I, I wanted to leave no doubt this morning that uh, when, we, when we talk about uh, just the, the miraculous movement of God this morning, and you guys have been, at, uh, Providence has been around for like 12 years, and I've been, I've been here every moment, all right? I hope there's enough trust here this morning uh, for me. Uh, and I've never pushed an agenda here. I've just been me. Uh, I've always been massively vulnerable. You know all my weird stories, or at least, you know, most of them, right? Some of them are just, you know, you shouldn't know, all right? Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll tell you later. We'll see. If I'm here, yeah, another 12, maybe you'll probably know those too, all right? Uh, but uh, but I, I just, I, I want to challenge you, and I want to ask that you would just trust, without throwing tomatoes, just ask that you would just trust. And say, if Nathan's saying it, I'm going to consider it, Okay? So I wanna leave no doubt this morning that, that I am somebody who, who loves the Bible. It's like food. It's like if you got to eat a love letter, that's what the scriptures are. And we stand on the scriptures. Uh, and I also wanna let you know that I completely believe in the, in the Holy Spirit and that, that that uh, that he wants to move in miraculous ways in the church, and I even go as far to believe this: that I don't just believe that miracles sometimes happen on occasion when we didn't know, but actually they should be our default. Where we should actually say, "Hey, listen! Oh, you're sick! Oh, you need a breakthrough! Wow! Well, before we hit the strategy session, let's pray for a miracle." And so that's the kind of person, and that's the kind of church that I want to lead, where, where we, we don't strategize and then say, God bless our efforts. We say, "What is your word said that you do? And we see that Jesus healed people on occasion, uh, and, that, and maybe he wants to do it again. And so I want to be the kind of person that doesn't use the Bible as, as a shield against the miraculous, but a catapult to launch me into it. So, and I know this, this, is, this is crazy because I know that there's a lot of pain associated with this. Listen, I've been a part of churches. Like, I, you know, before I went to Moody, I was a part of other churches where, where crazy unbiblical things happened. And I got hurt from that. And I, I don't subscribe to all of that at all. And someone, just because someone's screaming Holy Spirit doesn't mean they're operating in him. Okay, so I, I know that there's, but I'm also not going to let my, my fear of what I don't understand limit, li, limit me from possessing all God has for me. And um, so, and there's, a, uh, there's, there's a, a, a great trust that we have to operate in. So I want to talk about this. Are you guys with me? Yeah. You guys with me on this? All right. All um, right. Yeah, so I just, I hear this, here's what I have written, that I believe that God is a miracle-working God. Uh, he doesn't just do miracles. He actually is the Lord of them. He's the Lord of the impossible. And then he, he wants to move in our day. He wants to move in our day. And so I I believe this with all of my heart and then my heart shares the same concern that Pastor Marcel tossed out two weeks ago, that there's this distrust for people who believe that God is going to do the impossible or actually start there. So that's where I want to go a little bit this morning and we're just breaking the iceberg here, Uh, but uh, I I, I refuse to sit back and preach nice lessons when I believe that the church is actually in bondage. And that the church needs to be released into the future that God has for us and, and instead of just, just, you know, categorizing it and saying, "It oh, wouldn't it be nice if. Well, I want to walk into the if here. I want to see God do things that, that uh, he's been dreaming for a long time. So, taking a risk uh, this morning, I was actually, I was up last night um, in the, maybe, I don't know, two-something in the morning, I sat on the edge of the, of the bed, I couldn't stop sweating. Maybe that was Jesus getting the pizza out, I hope, you know, <laughs> all right, yeah, I couldn't stop sweating, I was sitting on the edge of the bed, I feel my wife's hand, and she's rebuking me, I mean, uh, praying over me, and, uh, say, you know, well, she's praying for me, and I got up super early this morning, it's like, it's like I was resisting, um, I was resisting going here because I'm so tired of losing friends. Uh, but I have a friend Named Jesus, I know that sounds churchy. <laughs> you got a friend in Jesus, yeah, but I'm still a real person, Jesus, right? Uh, so, but this real person, uh, physical friends are not. Jesus is always enough. So I would rather fight for your freedom and then preach a Sunday school lesson for you that does nothing. Okay, so, uh, so turn with me if you have your Bibles. First Corinthians chapter 13. This is the love passage, but then it gets into Holy Spirit passage, and I actually think this is this is one of the theological changes that have really hurt the church so much, so much, so much, so much. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're just going to, we're going to hit here and then we're going to bounce off of it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting with verse 8 to 10, here's what my Bible says. Love never ends. Amen to that? All right. You may stop loving God, but he keeps coming after you. Uh, He is your pursuer, and love never ends. But then it says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. All right? So a lot of things pass in here. All right? The question is, when do these things pass away? And it, and it says, uh, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Nathan, why are you reading this? This, this is not a mystery with what's happening there. Well, here's, here's the, the crazy thing. And I know this. I know two interpretations from both sides of this passage of Scripture very well because I've been in both of them. I haven't believed both of them. I've always believed that God does miraculous things. Always, all my life. But certain institutions and churches have tried to convince me that this passage says that when the perfect comes, the Holy Spirit stops doing the miraculous. So the question is, what is the perfect? And certain people say the perfect is the closing of the canon of Scripture. In other words, when we get the Bible. Bible, we no longer need Holy Spirit to do miraculous things except to illumine our minds to see what the God's word says. That's real. Let that settle in for a second. I think many of us, and some of my friends believe this with all their hearts, and I still love them, and they still love me, and you can keep doing church like this. But I am strongly opposed to that because I don't believe it's true. And when you read this passage of Scripture, like, just for friend's sake, I'm not willing to embrace uh, a mistruth. Because when you read this Bible, for we, uh, the Bible, starting with verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the perfect here, in the context here, is not, th- th- this, th- you have to look at what was the original author saying, what was Holy Spirit inspiring the original author, and there's nothing to do with the closing of the canon of Scripture. This perfect here is Jesus himself returning. This is what the Bible is saying. And so uh, so what what happens here is when the perfect comes, this is the return of Jesus. When the perfect comes, yes, we're not going to know in part anymore. We're going to fully know. We're going to see him as he is. It's no slap to the scriptures. We need the scriptures. We need them. They're true. They're true, we stand on them. We we need to eat them like like good, lovesick children, like lovers just consuming the word, hungry for the word. But we also need to rightly divide the word of truth, that's what the scripture says, and to hold hold a view that says the perfect here is the closing of the canon of scripture is just not true. This is pointing to Jesus, the perfect one. So this is where I lose friends. (laughs) two of you laughed on that because the rest of you know it's true. Yeah. So the return of Jesus, not the closing of the canon of Scripture is what this is talking about. Uh, Anybody uh, that's not motivated by fear, in my opinion, can tell you that. All right? Because it's a scarier life to live when 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 you can't just go to Tommy's and eat pizza, when Holy Spirit's actually calling you to get out of your shell and share Father's heart. It's it's so much easier to live like that when your main goal is to invite someone to church or to your Bible study where you use this to hide from the world. But Holy Spirit catapults you into the world from the scriptures and says, change it. Change it. So do you know that the Bible does not need protection? Do you know the Bible speaks for itself? Never needed protection. The most hated book in all of history. They burned it by the boatloads. Yet, it's the most popular book in all of history and has impacted our lives radically and speaks to a relationship we we can have with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, the Word of God is is what God has decided to reveal about himself, but the Word of God here is not God. Holy Spirit is. You've got to simmer on that one because this is not God. This is the revelation of God. Okay, this is, this is, God uses his word so you can know him, all right? This is not exercising, this is eating, all right? This is, well, I'm not a good reader, I I have no retention. Well, I honestly, three Tuesday mornings ago, I don't know what I had for breakfast, but it filled me, and I am the ripped man that I am because of it, you see, you see this? Right, so this is this is you, this is not exercise where where God's like your coach saying, "Oh, good job, you, you got in it, you got in it, you got in it." Go hungry or don't. Or maybe if you're not, go. So you've been fasting so long from the courts of heaven that you need to re-engage your spiritual metabolism and start to eat again and start to say, "Whoa, it's not that it's not that I'm not hungry. It's I'm starving. I just haven't feasted in a while." what's happening is, is when, we, when we draw lines down the center of the church, and this is what hurts me because I love the church so much, and I really believe that God wants to use the church not as people that hide behind walls and you know, our greatest feats of courage are when we you know, toss something out on social and say, you're dirty. And then we come back into our Bible study and people say, hey, good job. They are dirty and they just can't handle the truth, right? That's what the church looks like so much. But the, 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 the church is supposed to be much more dangerous to darkness than that. And so I, I believe that God wants to fill us with his word and send us out in his power. And that these are days where God is stirring that, stirring that, stirring that. This is not, listen, let me say it again. This is not Holy Spirit or Holy Bible. It's both. We have to stop divorcing them and start marrying them. This is, this is, we can't operate anymore as a single parent family where we follow one. It's, it's, it's both or nothing. All right. Did I say that the church is supposed to be much more wild and dangerous than it is? Did I say that? All right, can I say that again? The, the church is supposed to be wild. Like a, uh, like, like a, someone who's just fallen in love and they wanna uh, proclaim it from the rooftops. I'm in love, right? And it's actually, it's actually, there's that newness that God always wants to pour out. That it's not maturity when you lose that and get boring, all right? It's, mat- it's maturity when you know how to sustain that and don't lose that, yeah. all right? So God wants us to be, uh, to be uh, full of life and full of love and then dangerous to darkness. Not dangerous to people, dangerous to darkness. So we will not fight against people, but we'll fight against the darkness that's pulling them down. Very dangerous to dark places. And so it's, I, I, I told you, I was out with my kids last night, who in the restaurant needs Jesus. Uh, Adrian spoke up and said, well, I was sharing Jesus with a lady in the bathroom. Mm. And Grace goes, you were what? How did you do that? I'm excited right now. I'm crying that you were good in the stall, yeah. Uh, she, was saying, uh, she was saying, well, there's a lady and I just felt like I should talk to her and let her know that she was seen. Guys, it's as simple as this. You don't pass somebody like they're a robot. You pass somebody like they're an image bearer and you let them know that you're seen and I like you and you're loved and we may not even agree, doesn't really matter. Give me a hug. I know it's, we're in the bathroom here, but let's not let anyone see us, but we're doing it. All right, here we go. And then they talk about you when they go back to your table and they drive off confused, but it's the Father's heart that's been planted in them, guys. All right, yeah. So, so what a, uh, do you know this, that what a, a confused world. You know, when you, when you think about the church and, and the, the news only talks about scandals in the church, uh, the news only talks about uh, people in the church falling, but the news has no capacity to rep- report global revival that's going on. All right, and if you don't know about a global revival that's going on, please You have my permission to get out a lot more. I subscribe to this organization called Voice of the Martyrs. And there's people laying, they treasure Jesus so much that they would rather die for him than renounce him. All over the world today. That are not saying, oh, the 10 o'clock service just doesn't work for me. Because they're like, I walked 17 hours straight through hostile territory to be here. And they're just full of passion for Jesus. And so the world looks at the church squabbling over nothing and they're confused. But the, the world is becoming increasingly cynical and distrusting from the church. And you know what the world needs from the church is not questions, uh, not questions to uh, or not answers to questions the world's not asking. We love to provide those. Forcing answers to questions they don't even care about because they're not a lie. Right, they're dead. They need to know that there's life. They need to know that there's a different kingdom. We have to stop answering questions for them uh, assuming that they'll get it. They won't, they need Jesus first. And then you disciple them. But what a confused, cynical, distrusting world needs from the church is not theological answers to questions they're not asking. They, they need to see that this thing is real. They need to see that people are actually alive. They need to to smell Jesus on you because you've been with him. This is, it's as simple as it is. Before there were Bible studies in print by the thousands, there was a church, alive to God, going to work. Just, now you see this is real. Genesis chapter 18, I just want to give like, there's a few kind of crazy passages on my heart. Genesis chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, I just want to show you this, that that God wants to show up in your life in powerful ways, and that he is the Lord of the impossible. Genesis chapter 18, starting with verse uh, 9 to 14, there's this wild passage. This is one of the first places that God uh, literally tells people, hey, I can do anything, Stop laughing at me. Stop second-guessing me. You need to know this as my son or my daughter. I'm the Lord of the impossible. And so here it is, Genesis chapter 18. This is, this is a wild part of, of history where we've got a man named Abraham and Sarah, and God's renaming them, giving them new names, giving them uh, new callings and destinies on their lives, uh, telling them who they're going to be before they actually are. This is crazy. Uh, and so, so we've got this part here where God comes to Abraham and he comes to Sarah and he tells them, um, he gives them a promise that you're gonna have a child. And th- this, this child is gonna be the son of the promise. Um, and, uh, and so this is years go by. And Abraham and Sarah never understand or never, they, they never get pregnant. And this child never comes. And so Abraham tries to take things into his own hands uh, and succeeds. And he has a son, but not to Sarah. And then, guess what? One day, God shows up. It's interesting, even in this part of the passage, he shows up in three persons under a tree. Wow. And he shows up and he talks to Abraham and Sarah. And this is where we're picking it up here and starting uh, Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. It says, "Uh, And they said to him, uh, and they meaning God, you get that, right? (laughs) Where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the, at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure. Um, if you're squirming, you're right, okay? So uh, yes, that's what it means, Okay. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return. Is anything too hard for the Lord? See, this is the question that God's been asking. No matter what side of the theological line you fall on, you have to wrestle with this biblical reality that God asks his people, whether you're from the Moody Bible Institute or some other place, is anything too hard for me? See, this is, where, this is where some things start to break down. Because there's no, there's no room for a yeah, but. Oh, yeah, of course. There's no room. You, you don't teach God theology. You just receive from him or you don't. And here God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Guys, when we are, see, this is, this is a miracle. This is a miracle that God's speaking here. Um, And and what happens is is we we tend to resist miracles by doing a few things. Here's here's one of the first things, is we resist miracles by uh, by doing the math. That's what Sarah's doing. For all of you who, who hate math with a passion, I encourage you to rise up in this moment. This is your, your whole life has led to this. Uh, and uh, for those of you who are great at math, uh, you guys are great. And Jesus still loves you. Okay? So, uh, but, uh, but we, we, we do the math when we're talking math. But don't do the math when we're talking God. Okay? You can't do the math. When God says, you're going to have a child, next year I'll be back, and you'll be holding your boy. And when you laugh at that because the equation hasn't worked out, there's something wrong in your heart. So we do the math and we say, does what I am hearing from God sound reasonable? And here's the reason. verse 11. Uh, Sarah says, I'm old. I'm old, she says. I think she's around, I don't know, 80 or 90 here. I didn't do the math because I'm a Christian, all right? Uh, the, but she is old. Uh, and she, uh, she says, this doesn't add up. You keep going. I'm I'm advanced in years. She goes on to say the way of women has ceased. It just means that that her childbearing years are over. Everything. I'm physically unable. I'm physically unable. The the math doesn't work in this equation, God. This couldn't. And so you know what happens when you do that, when you add things up and and you're physically unable and the math doesn't compute, even though God said it, what you do is you laugh at Jesus. Verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself. It's a laugh of disbelief. Like, (laughs) heard that before. Yeah, right. I just did the math. Just did the math. (laughs) This is ridiculous. How many times do we laugh at people that are actually speaking the heart of God into our lives? And since it sounds crazy, someone says, you know what? God's going to use you in great ways. But we've got some experience that is speaking a lousier destiny into us than God is. I just don't. I've done the math. I don't even see myself like that. Guys, do you know that if I operated in the way I saw myself, you would not be here. We would not be here in this gathering. God God had to tell me, and still does, on repeat, over and over again, Nathan, I know the math doesn't add up, but you're where I've got you. You just keep being who you are. Just, I've got to be enough for you. But God, like the math, like I actually don't like the spotlight. I'd rather, I'm an introvert. I don't care what the math says. I'm just with you and I'm calling you. Don't laugh at me in disbelief. And the math, when the math doesn't work, we respond with disbelief. And lots of times that, that disbelief, it, it begins to come out of us. So if you're laughing at the impossible, if you, if you get angry when someone talks about a miracle, when, if, if uh, someone says, hey, this happened, and your, your first uh, notion is not to believe that God is a miracle-working God, but to be, be cautious. So I'd rather you believe first and then find out you're wrong later than be so cautious that you miss the miracle. That's a more biblical concept in my opinion. And so here's, what happens is we do the math. It doesn't seem like it's, it's uh, uh, working. And so that disbelief comes out of us in a laugh or in a, in a whatever. And then here's, here's something here. Look at uh, verse 12b. I'm worn out, Sarah says. My Lord is old. She actually calls her husband her Lord, uh, lowercase l. I'm not recommending that. I tried that once and uh, that didn't go good. Uh, so, uh, but uh, I'm worn out. Uh, my Lord is old, uh, will I now have, have pleasure? Um, this, is, this is It's almost, too, like there's all kinds of pleasure in this passage. Let me talk about one of them. It's almost like the, the pleasure of holding the fulfilled promise, the pleasure of actually not hating my life because I never had a child. Am I, am, I'm really going to, so you're telling me that I'm going to have pleasure, the pleasure of a fulfilled promise now after all the decades of pain? Now. So I'm just saying th- there's rings of bitterness here. And I think that when we start talking miracles, many of us have bitterness inside of us that are a louder voice than the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we start doubting everything that we hear and we start being angry like, well, if, if God could really do that, well, and we point back to our history, well, then why didn't he? Because I prayed once. I prayed 90 times, I prayed for 20 years. He never did that then, and then we're bitter at God now, and it's your bitterness that's driving you instead of faith. We do the math, laugh at God, hold our bitterness, and that's not a great, let's do some math now, that's not a great equation for belief in an awesome God, a God that is not limited by time or space, A God that has no boss. It's just he reigns supreme in his own world. So God's response to Sarah, this is interesting. God's response to Sarah's mathematical evaluation of his promise. God's response to Sarah when she found what he said is laughable. God's response to Sarah even though she's responding to him in hurt and pain and she won't admit it. Is verse 14 where he says, hold on a second, is anything too hard for the Lord? And that, my friends, is a question that cuts through all the corridors of time, denominations, affiliations, experiences. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer to that rings throughout history. And the the answer to that is if God is who he says he is, there's nothing even near as big as he is, so nothing is impossible for him. Nothing is too hard for him. Nothing makes him shiver in his shoes. Nothing makes him bite his nails. Nothing even makes him say, oh, okay. I thought that was going to get me for a second. God never does that. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. I don't know why this is so difficult to believe. Is anything? Is your marriage too hard for the Lord? Well, we're just done. We're just over. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Do you know that when the angel showed up to Mary in Luke chapter one, and the Mary says, and and the angel says to Mary, "You're going to have a child. You're You're not Mary. You're not even married," and Mary does the math. That's mathematically, humanly impossible. That's that's not going to happen. And her response, though, was a faith response where she says, let it be to me according to your word. If you said it, I'm just going to believe it. Oh, so that's how Jesus comes into the world. You know, the dad with the possessed son in in Mark chapter nine, verse 23 and 24, where he's flipping out and nobody can cast this demon out of his boy from, from infancy it's taking control of this kid. And and, Jesus says, uh, and and Jesus says to this guy who just challenged Jesus's strength, if you can do anything, please. And Jesus responds in the most beautiful, beautiful way, but there's power in his response. He's like, if, wait, did I just hear you say, if you can? You have no clue. You can't even fathom who you're dealing with right now. You can't even fathom who you're dealing with. There's no if about it. It's just I can. It's just I can. It's just I can. Jesus says, All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, And this is exactly what we should be doing, cried out and said, Listen, I believe, help my unbelief. So it's not my pain speaking, it's not my bitterness speaking, it's not my my mathematical equation speaking. It's like, God, open my capacity to be able to believe you for the impossible. I'm the problem here, not you. I want, I want an upgrade. I want a deeper understanding. Enlarge my territory. Enlarge my mind and my heart to be able to receive what you want to do. I'm tired of stiff-arming you with my theologies. See, the, uh, do you know the story of blind Bart? I would always chuckle when I read this. Because when I say blind Bart, I always heard like a pirate voice in my head. Like, I'm blind Bart. You know, like, a uh, Walk me plank. And there's a parrot on his shoulder that says, oh, walk is plank, you know, so. But I kinda, I was, <laughs> interestingly enough, I was brushing my teeth yesterday and the blind Bart kinda thing came up. And it's like blind Bart is, is really what's happening here. He's like, me blindness is walking me plank. Yeah, his blindness is walking the plank today. If that's what it takes for me to remember it, I'll take it, Jesus, right? But Mark chapter 10, Verse 46 to 52, said they came to Jericho as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples a great, uh, uh, and a great crowd. Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, there's blind Bart, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now we learn a lot about healing from blind Bart. A ton. Because though he was in his situation for all of his life, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he didn't begin to do math. He began to cry. Oh, all of my life (laughs) has led up to this moment. This is my whole existence has hinged on this one moment. And he begins to cry it out. He's not like, he's not trying to be polite. He's not trying to say, hey, guys, can you quiet down? I've got a question. Jesus, do you see? Like, I've got a hand raised. I'm like, he's just like, Jesus of Nazareth. Over here, and Jesus doesn't hear him, or you know, because because what's happening at at Blind Bart's cry for miraculous movement in his life? People didn't like that, and many rebuked him. Many rebuked him. Hey, here's a guy that wants to see. What is there to rebuke? He's a distraction. I like spending time with Jesus my way. You stop distracting me from my encounter. And many rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. We don't like your cry. We don't like the cry of healing coming out of your old soul. And Blind Bart has to get to the place where he says, I don't care what you like, Jesus is here. And that emboldened him, and he cried out all the more, Son of David, this means that he recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. Saying, Jesus, I know who you are. You're not a, you're not a prophet. You're not a good dude. You are the Messiah, the Isaiah 61 Messiah that your words has been pointing toward all along. And I'm asking that you'd have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Call who? Blind part. Call the one that looks crazy. Call the one that you're all rebuking. Call the one that makes you all uncomfortable. Call him, yes, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, hey, take heart or take courage. Get up, he's calling you. And I love this part. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. It's almost like throwing off his His cloak is, is, it was a new season that he's walking into that this beggar's cloak defined who I was up until this moment, but I'm done with that And now I'm going to Jesus, and I'm going to see what Jesus says over my future. I'm going to trust my whole life to what he says. I just know I'm not taking the old me with me. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And this is something interesting that Jesus asks. He's not asking because he doesn't know. He's asking because he actually wants to be in relationship with, with us, and he wants us to partner with him. What do you want me to do? Say it. Say it. Tell me. You believe that I'm the God of the impossible? I want to hear it. What do you want me to do for you? I think, hold on. I think that some of us, we've never actually been able to tell God what we want him to do. We're just like, God, you know me. You're the all-knowing one, omnipotent, I'm the present, you're omni-everything. You know, I don't have to say it, I'm just here, help, help, help. Help is a dangerous prayer in a a great way. But sometimes Jesus comes to us and says, say it, say it, say it. What do you want me to do for you? Why did you leave your beggar's cloak on the street? Why did you spring up on the old legs? the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. He said it. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And this is the Jesus that I believe in with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, body. This is the Jesus I'm going down with the ship with. Yeah. This is the Jesus. So if you, uh, if you want uh, two practical things real quick to do, um, uh, to battle unbelief, I would say keep crying and keep praying. Do you know the Bible says, ask, seek, and knock? Asking is like, hey, the father's right in the room. And you say, hey, hey, dad, could you help me out here? He's like, sure, son. Seeking is like, you know dad's in the house, but you don't know which room. So you're going room to room to find him. And then you finally uh, find him. It takes a little more time. But uh, knocking is like, you don't even know what continent he's on. I know he's here. I just don't know where. And so you keep asking, you keep seeking. You, you're knocking on heaven's door until you get an answer. So I would say keep crying, but keep asking. Don't let one prayer discourage you from the next. Keep going, my friends. Keep asking your Father who cares for you. Um, the, uh, I, uh, oh man, where do I go with this? Because I, I want to wrap this up. Let's just, let's just do this. Um, I think that there's some people here that actually do need to keep asking and that you need to, close your eyes for a moment. You, I, I want you to think about the thing that you gave up on or that's actually turned to bitterness in your heart and that you stopped asking because God didn't answer on your timetable and you need to trust him more than that. At the right time, he will be back. It's a year, it's a day, it, it's a decade, but he's going to be back. And at the right time, he will show up with the answer. And so as children, God, we're sorry that we gave up so fast and we wanna keep asking. And we, I just pray for, that you would just visit our hearts with, with new courage to spring to our feet, that we would not put on the, the, uh, the beggar's cloak again and go back to who and how we were, but we would rise up as we keep crying and we keep asking. And I pray that you would invade our spaces with a new courage to do so, God. And I just pray that for some people, God, that haven't had the courage to ask you for what they actually need. It's just been, well, you know, well, you know. Um, God, that's a bad relationship. If we don't tell others that we love them, we just say, oh, they know. God, that's not how we do it. So I just pray for a new courage, God, to begin to tell you what we need as your sons and daughters and to trust you with that. So God, I bless you right now and I say, God, I wanna be the kind of man and the kind of father and the kind of pastor and the kind of husband and uh, just the kind of son that just trusts you, that just trusts you, God. And I just pray that into our church, God. I pray that we would would love and value Jesus so much and we would be open to saying, hey God, help my unbelief here. Help my unbelief here. And we just welcome you to, to do that bless each person, God. I pray, for, uh, I pray for healing where there needs to be healing. I pray for courage where there needs to be courage. I pray for laughter where there needs to be rejoicing, God, in all of my brothers and sisters in this house and that you would show up radically and powerfully in lives, God, we bless you. Thanks for letting us gather here today. We bless your name and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.